Well, welcome to Breakaway from the Rat Race. And today I have the pleasure of meeting with uh, Jerome Myers. And Jerome left corporate America because he realized that although he had done many things and he had many accomplishments, he had not gained significance because he was not leading what he called a centered life. Uh, now, as a leadership coach, he uses his personal journey and unique training method to guide others, other apex performers in uh, leadership positions to face their toughest professional and personal challenges head on. Jerome, welcome to the show. Eric, thanks for having me, man. Grateful to be yeah. with you today. My pleasure. So, uh, so you left corporate America. I think a lot of people are still in corporate America. Uh, you, uh, after that, you kind of did like two other projects. One of them was uh, Dreamcatchers, which is a boutique uh, coaching firm. Uh, but you also did something that in the real estate side with your Myers Development Group, mainly focus, I think, in, in multifamily. So a, a lot of uh, our listeners are thinking about doing a transition out of corporate America or and so they're very curious about that transition. So can you share with us kind of what that transition was like, what forced you to do that, any kind of challenge you had, any tips you have for our listeners? Yeah, what I will tell the listeners is I did it absolutely the wrong way. So don't follow the steps that I took. But if you want to know the steps, I decided that I was going to leave. And I had about a year's worth of savings in the bank. And I walked out thinking I was going to buy an apartment building earn a year worth of expenses saved. And the thing about real estate is if you are going to buy real estate, you typically have to put income or put some money into the real estate. Mm -hmm. And so if you're relying on your savings to live and to buy real estate, you end up in a conundrum pretty quickly. So mistake number one. Now, yeah. did I have money in a 401k that could have pulled out or could have done self-directed and that stuff? I did, but I hadn't thought it through. And there's a lot of things you got to think through with that one if the money's coming from a self-directed IRA the money can't go directly into your pocket it's got to go back into the IRA you can't benefit like there's all these rules yeah. and so what you really need is money that's not qualified so that you can get the income off of that deployed capital when you get started anyway so I, I didn't know that I, I wasn't smart enough to think through all that and I thought I was going to buy an apartment building. Well, I, I went to the first bank, Eric, and they said, after asking them, don't you want to give me a million dollars to buy this building? They said, why would we do that? I was like, well, because I'm going to make money and you're going to get interest. And he said, yeah, but what experience do you have? I said, well, I just built a $20 million vision for a Fortune 550. I had a full P&L responsibilities. I got an MBA, I got my engineering license. And he was like, yeah, none of that really matters. Have you bought a deal of similar size and executed a business plan similar to the one you propose here? And the answer was no. And he said, well, you're not somebody that we would lend money to. And so I went to the next bank because I felt like they were just being silly. And the next bank told me the same thing. And I did it again and again and again. And by number two, I realized I was not going to get anybody lend me money to buy a million dollar apartment building because I didn't have the requisite experience. And so I did what everybody else does that watches TV. I started fixing and flipping because that was the sexy thing to do. 
And that was when I realized very quickly that the money that I had outside of a retirement account was going to be trapped in deals. If I wasn't careful, then depending on how long it takes you to get through the deal, all the money's going the wrong way. And the money going the wrong way leads to a situation where you can not have money to pay bills or pay people that are doing work for your project, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's even if you do get hard money. And mm -hmm. so what I really encourage people to do who are interested in leaving their role is to figure out first, and I call it proof of concept, how to make money outside of their real estate or outside of their job, yeah. right? And then figure out how to do that at least one more time, executing the same strategy. And if you can do those two things, then I think you end up in a space where you have some confidence and you also have a resume in case you need to go get leverage to continue doing the thing that you want to do. Most people who are willing to lend money are only willing to do it to somebody who's done it two or three more times. And you can prove that you had success doing it. And you become a repayment risk when you don't have another source of income outside of the thing that you're working on. It's kind of like, don't leave one vine before you reach for the other vine. Yeah. And that was, you know, the biggest lesson that I learned in that transition. And eventually we worked through it, but it wasn't without some scrapes on my knees and a couple of bruised elbows. Yeah, I mean that's that's a very good point. I think it, uh, also it's it's a little bit, you know, that that proof of concept is is pretty pretty interesting. Before you quit your job, go and if you're looking at single family rentals or if you're looking at apartment buildings, try to do that with with your job while you still have your job. Don't don't go and uh, quit everything and then you know try something completely different and then not know exactly what you're doing or if it's going to work out. So the proof of concept was pretty important. And that this is kind of also how I got started. Uh, I kept, I was doing independent consultant, uh, independent consulting. So, you know, money was coming in. I didn't have to worry about that part of it. And my time was pretty flexible. And then uh, we started investing in uh, out of state. Luckily for me, like I had like two sons uh, and, you know, that were involved they were interested in real estate and then they were involved and one of them did like a lot of uh, calls to to find properties find the right market and all that kind of stuff and um, yeah we st I started and I could have invested for more well, on more properties but we started with one property in Memphis and we bought like for forty thousand dollars and put like ten thousand dollars in rehab find the tenants and all that kind of stuff and then did a refi uh, six months later and they realized okay this is working because we basically we refied the, the arv after that was like seventy thousand dollars or something like that and we were able to get back pretty much all our money uh that we had put in the property and we we're ready to do another property after that so yeah so that proof of concept and then we did it again like we did then after that we did two houses we said okay well this is you know, this is working. And then, you know, and then you do it again. And after a couple of years of doing that, that again, and doubling down and trying other market, that's when I, I finally quit my job. So, so this is very, very wise advice, uh, Jerome, to basically do the proof of concept 
and then make sure that it works and make sure that that business model works before you go and, and jump jump into it uh, you know with all, all you've got a little bit like poker you don't go all in first after you've seen your just your, your first two cards yeah in no way shape or form does that have any financial prudence that's <laughs> not a proven model at all yeah so, uh, so you you did that. Uh, so the, the first deal that you got, you started doing flips and stuff like that. So tell us kind of like what how that first flip was, and um, and then kind of like then after that you did I guess another flip and kind of like let's talk about your first deal. How did you find it? How did you finance it? And how did that go? Yeah. So my first deal was in Richmond, Virginia, and it was a row house. It, had all kinds of issues termite damage the whole nine and we were able to buy that property if i remember correctly for about one hundred and forty thousand dollars. we had about a 40 or fifty thousand dollar budget and i think we ended up selling that property for like 270 or 275 which worked out really well um, from a budgetary standpoint but i still remember getting connected to wi-fi after landing in jamaica because we were going to celebrate the fact that we'd exited the deal. And the email said, the contractor, we cannot close because the contractor has filed a lien against the property. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And they filed a lien for $70,000 after being paid what was in our contract. And they hadn't done any of the necessary steps in order to be able to file a mechanics lien on the property. Mm -hmm. And I just remember the air leaving my chest yeah. as I realized that the wire that I was expecting to hit later that day was not going to come. And I was like, why is this happening to me? What did I do wrong? So on and so on and so on. And what, ended up happening is he did not get paid. It was found out that the lien was not valid. And eventually we, we got all of the capital we were supposed to get, but it did cost some additional money because the holding costs associated with the hard money loan that we got for the property. And, you know, the company that we use brands themselves as private money, but I mean, it, it was two and 12. I mean, it's typical oh, yeah. rates for yeah, yeah. hard money for flicks and flip project and and it had monthly interest payments as well so that was how we got the deal done mm -hmm. uh, from a financial standpoint and that's the end result but i will tell you uh, i still remember walking into the property and they were running new plumbing to a bathroom that we added and for the listeners they may not know this because they're not contractors but when you have floor joists you are not able to cut the floor joists to add pipes. You have to yeah. drill. Yeah. And they were cutting a wedge into each one of Whoa. the floor joists. And they did it to about 13 of them. Wow. And when I told them that they couldn't do it, they were like, yes, we can. And then they eventually got the inspector called and they were told, no, you can't do that. And so wow. then they had to um, they had to do whatever the fix was in order yeah. to reinforce the structural integrity of the home. And I was 
I was so frustrated because the incompetence that was demonstrated there really bothered me and I probably should have terminated the agreement at that point, but so much work had been done. So much money had already exchanged hands. It was like, well, what do we actually do here? Mm-hmm. And so I didn't, and only to at the finish line get rewarded with that surprise was yeah. uh, something that I, I didn't enjoy. And so I, I wish I was one of the folks who only came on and told people how great it was to do the things. But sorry, I, I t- <laughs> this was not the HGTV project that you saw last week. It it was. And now did we make money? Yeah, absolutely. But the fact of the matter was it was really challenging to get too close. Yeah. And there's a couple of things. I mean, this is, this is about, it's a lesson to learn is like, as you're doing your first project, and this is why you want to have that proof of concept and then, you know, really work it out and say, how does that work? And, you know, yeah, any kind of issues, at least you still have your job at the time. So it's going to be painful, but at least you'd be able to you know, put more money in if needed. And um, yeah, and also when you get started, everybody's a little bit nervous, right? So your contractor is also nervous about you and they say, well, you know, I want to make sure I get paid. So I'm going to put a mechanical lien on the property to make sure I get paid. And, you know, so there's, you have all kinds of things. Once you've done like, you know, a few, a few more houses and you work with that contractor for a while, then things kind of like more, are more relaxed. There's more trust that's be that's built built up between the different parties, and then people can can just calm down. They know they're going to get paid. They know that this is happening. You have a different conversation about the uh, about things uh, about uh, change orders, for example, and it's just you trust your contractor and say, okay, yeah, I see what you mean, and yeah, you, you agree to the change order and stuff like that. But yeah, the first. The first few houses, it could be a little bit rough because that that trust hasn't been established yet, and you don't know if you work with the right guy, and they don't know if they work they're working with the right investor either. So, so this is very good. So also the other thing too I want to say is that don't count your don't count your chips until the it's not closed until you have the money in the bank, pretty much. A thousand percent. <laughs> And I, I, I'll never forget, there was another project that I did where I I just knew we were going to close. It, it, this time we bought the property for like forty or $50,000 and we put ninety in it and we had it sold for like two fifty or two sixty. And the day, two days before closing, the house flooded. Oh boy. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't think it was a coincidence that it flooded. And when it flooded, it ruined. And the what happened was the water supply for the commode upstairs came mm-hmm. off. Oh, yeah. Wow. And so the whole second floor, all of the ceilings, everything yeah, down into the basement was ruined. And so that was in like this time, May of that year. And I didn't sell the house again until November after redoing the project, a lot of the project. And I'll tell you, I I went from a 250 sale price or 260 sale price down to 210. I mean, I made virtually nothing after all of that work. And it it was at that point I was like, man, it's just not, 
I, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. I felt no. defeated on so many different levels. But the point is, you can do everything right until you're yeah. almost at the finish line. But if you don't cross the finish line, the race isn't over. You got to keep mm -hmm. your head down and keep pushing. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I think a lot of we talked to a lot of other investors and all of that. And also with my book to like, you know, I have people contact me and they want to have more information and they just like their impression. I mean, they, they talk about Burr. I want to do a Burr strategy. I want to get a rental, but I want to do the Burr strategy, which means that you buy a distressed property, you renovate it, rent it out, refi, and then you kind of redo it. Uh, repeat and then and they think oh this is so easy I mean you know and then they look at how you know we're doing it and how it we make it look so easy and um, but then when they start their first house then they realize holy this is a lot more complicated than I thought and um, you know so some of them were actually coaching to do some of these burrs and they're just like this is like this is too much work I don't have time for this I just like <laughs> And, uh, you know, and it's a lot more money up front. Yes, at the end, if you're successful, you get higher returns than a turnkey rental. But you have to put a lot of time and effort and money into this up front in order for, to make that work. So it's not as easy as you see sometimes people describe very strategies in, uh, in other podcasts. Right? It's a lot more complicated than, than people are making it to be. You have to be careful on what the marketing message is, right? People will make it feel and seem as easy as possible because there's something to yeah. sell you another side of it. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a lot of salespeople out there. Yeah. I want people to go in eyes wide open. I want them to have real clarity about the what they're getting into because there's nothing worse than being surprised. Right. There's nothing worse than getting into something and then realizing that you're not in the right thing. That probably is more impactful or frustrating than anything else. That's why don't quit. Don't quit your job until you know you have your business model all all down, and you know exactly what you're doing, and you have the right partners on the ground. So you were pretty successful in corporate America, and a lot of people are you know transitioning. When they're transitioning out, they're just like. You know, do you have some skill set that you develop because you work full time and then but I think you also have to develop new skill set when you start to be an entrepreneur or an investor. So what are some of the, the these skill set, these additional skills that um, you you figured you needed when you became an entrepreneur uh, that you, you didn't really have or you had to tweak when you that skills that you had when you were in corporate America? Yeah, I think the one that's probably the biggest that most people know ever talk about is cash management. So as an entrepreneur, you're likely to get money in chunks versus a paycheck every week or every two weeks or once a month or whatever uh, cycle you're used to getting. And I think that cycle more often than not is an addiction. And I think a lot of people are addicted to their paycheck. And if your income is irregular, but overall your income is greater as an entrepreneur, your inability to ride those waves, I think can end up being pretty impactful. And so my goal, my expectation, my experience is be, be comfortable with not knowing when you're going to get your next paycheck. It's probably the first thing. 
Yeah, so I, yeah, that's true. And then, yeah, you have kind of the, the ups and downs. I mean, you have at the beginning when you start the city, you have one rental, not one property that you're flipping. You know, it costs you money every month. So your cash is going down, 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 down. And then at the end, you're, you're selling and then boom, now you're back, you're back higher than you were at the beginning. But this took, you know, maybe six months, eight months, uh, you know, to, to happen. So yeah, so you have you go on downhill and then then you're gonna go back up at the at the other end, and it's pretty important. The cash management is is extremely important. This is cash intensive business, and you have to make sure that you have the right cash flow all the time. Otherwise, it's gonna cost you some money. You know, like if you go and for example, you have to pay your contractors, you have to pay materials, you have to pay utilities, uh, all these things. You have to pay those in order to advance the projects. Otherwise, the whole thing is gonna, you know, it's gonna stop, gonna grind to a halt. So, you want to make sure that you have your cash all the way uh, through the end of the project and a little bit of a cushion. Because if you end up that you don't have cash anymore, then what are you gonna do? You're gonna have to go and ask friends and family for a loan. You're gonna have to get a hard money lender. You're gonna have to talk to your a current hard money lender to get more money. And they're going to charge you more points, more interest, and all that, all that good stuff. So, so cash management is extremely important. So I can't, I can't, uh, you know, <laughs> emphasize it enough uh, that uh, you have to keep a very close eye on on your cash flow. The other piece of that, because I think many of us as investors or entrepreneurs have some financial trauma at some point and the financial trauma is don't have access to the capital the way that we thought we would or something was going to pay and it didn't pay however you want to think about it and that often leads to a scarcity approach to sharing or to spending the money or investing the money and when you actually get to a place where you're stable that scarcity approach will hold you back. It will keep you from expanding and growing the way that you could or should. And so it's not about hoarding. It's not about keeping as much as you can in savings. It's not about not being able to deploy capital. You got to have a healthy balance there. And I think a, a lot of times people lose that and they just feel like they're going to end up under a bridge if they spend a dollar that they don't have to spend or they spend time negotiating on $20 on a, let's call it a thousand dollar purchase. And it's like, it, this doesn't matter. <laughs> what are we doing here? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I, yeah, I'm also about the kind of like more an abundance kind of uh, mentality. Um, so don't be too, share with your partners uh you know because without you know your contractors your if you have a realtor all these people i mean they're part of your team and uh so you have to treat them right otherwise they're going to do one job for you and uh that's going to be the end of it it doesn't mean you have to be blind either and just that throw money around because that also doesn't work very well uh because then they don't they think that you don't need it and they, if you don't need it i'll take it uh so so you have to be careful you have to find the right balance for sure um 
so Jerome, you also started like the Myers Development Group. And I think in that Myers Development Group, you basically help like regular people to invest in multifamily real, real estate, right? So, so tell us how that works. Um, and yeah, tell us more about that Myers Development Group. Yeah, so when we finally did get into our first multifamily deal, what I realized was I was one of the few people who had actually purchased an apartment. And I, was, I started talking to friends and family and nobody knew anybody. So I was like, man, this is, people are making a lot of money in this business. They're growing a lot of wealth. And our ability to get access to this asset class is limited to having the right network. So I, I wanted to expand that. And so we did a couple of things. One was we did more projects and we invited people to be partners in those deals with us. Another thing that we started doing was teaching people how we were actually doing it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we just had an exit where we bought a property for $55,000 a door. And this was actually the first deal we did. And we exited at $156,000 a oh, door, wow. 23 units. Wow. And that was over the course of about five years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it far exceeded our expectations and we're really grateful for the experience. But what it did for us is prove it was proof of concept. Right. It's one thing to say, hey, you can make money here. And it's another thing to make what most people won't ever make in their life. Right. Mm -hmm. And so how, how do you do that? How do you repeat that? And we've got some other deals in the pipeline where we've bought it what we consider to be a really strong cost basis. And we believe that when we exit, it's going to be worth a lot more than what we pay for it. And then the thing that we started working on a couple of years ago is ground up development. And so what we found is a lot of the renovation, the value add projects and multifamily, their cap rates are very similar to ground up construction. Mm -hmm. And so it's probably a better, option or alternative to build even though it's a very expensive proposition with very little income on the front end on the back end I, I think we have a nicer asset even if we were to do a full renovation project and i think it'll trade at a lower cap rate which in concept would deliver a lot more return on the investment for us yeah yeah, and I think it depends also where you do these uh, ground up developments for. Um, so that's that's what we found. I mean, the market is where we in it. You know, we we can't justify that. The numbers don't don't uh, don't make sense. But in North Carolina or in markets that have a little bit uh, more of an upside and lower caps, lower cap rates, then that might be something that uh, that is feasible. And I know there are a lot of companies, uh, the last conference I was at in Arizona, they were, they kept talking about, you know, uh, build to rent. Uh, that was a major, major trend across the US. And they're normally doing it in, you know, Florida, North Carolina, South Carolina, all of that, and kind of like the, the Sun Belt and Texas and all these places. So that's, you know, so that's that's a very interesting uh, field uh, to uh, to invest in. Um, so part of the thing too that you do, you're you're talking about uh, you were talking or uh, in something that I read about you you have this the Myers method, uh, the principles of the Myers method. So can you tell us kind of like what that is? Is that part of the thing that you teach the the people that um, that join the Myers Development Group and how to, what what is that method and you know. Tell us more about that. 
Yeah, so the Myers Method is our four-step process for finding, funding, fixing, and flipping multifamily deals. And this is something that I kind of stumbled across. So each time that we went into a deal, we followed the same process. And my buddy, Dr. James Bryant, said, hey, man, we're using the Myers Method. It's like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, you go find a deal. You put that together, and then you put the team together to fund it. And not only like for the risk capital, but the execution of the strategy and so on and so on and so on. And then once you close on the deal, you begin the process of fixing it. And that can be whatever you had in your business plan, but usually it's raising rents, decreasing expenses and doing some general improvements to the overall physical infrastructure of the property. And once you do that, your property is worth more and you can do one or two things. You can refinance it or you can sell it. Either one allows you to get a return of your original investment. And so we call that flipping it. And so going through the find, fund, fix and flip process allows people to have a repeatable process so that they can go in and know what to expect when they're doing deals. And this is specifically designed for people who want to be active in real estate. They want to be the lead on their own deals. There are people who want to just be passive investors and they want to have a deep understanding of what they're investing in. But what we found is a lot of people want to take advantage of the sweat equity that comes along with being the person that finds the deal or does much of the orchestration and allows them to create income. So how much how much time would you recommend uh, that somebody has available to to build on this strategy? Somebody's interested in doing this, they know about the Myers method, and then I, I'm I'm assuming there's more details uh, on other each of these steps. So how long do you think uh, one would need? Uh, how much time they would need to spend every week in order to work through this strategy? They want to be a hands on. Yeah. So each phase runs in its own piece, right? These are not parallel paths. They are the same path. I, well, I guess they're sequential. So mm -hmm. the finding it's a function of how much time or how much money, right? Yeah. You can pay people to do lead acquisition for you. They can reach out to folks. They can send mailers. They can call people. They can text message people, or you can do that yourself. The question is how fast do you want to get to the outcome? Most marketing folks will tell you that you need to talk to people six to nine times in order to get them to be interested in what you have to offer to them. And so in this case, we are trading a lump sum cash payment for the potential income that the property is generating. But in order to get that in front of a person, it takes a, a significant level of uh, effort and that mm -hmm. effort again, can be done by the person who's interested or they can pay people who specialize in it to do it. And if I just had to pick a number, you know, I would probably say you need to be spending two hours a day working at getting deal flow. So with the, the thing that accompanies the Myers method is these four challenges that every investor is looking to overcome. The first one is knowledge. And so Myers methods helps people figure out the knowledge so that they can evaluate leads to determine whether or not they're deals. And so level two is deal flow, right? You want deals that actually work 
And the difference between a lead and a deal is a lead is something that's marketed. You're likely not to make money if you were to buy that. A deal is something where you got a high likelihood of making money if you execute your business plan well. From there, then you go to experience. If you remember my story about the bank, they didn't lend to me because they didn't have any experience. Well, you want to have somebody on your team with experience so that you can get the large piece of the capital stack. A lot of people think, oh, man, well, uh, I just need to figure out how to raise this 20 to 30 percent and then I'm good. Well, hold on. The bank is your biggest financial partner, whether you believe it or not, or whoever your debt provider is. And they are bringing 60 to 70 percent and they're not lending to somebody that doesn't have a proven track record of success. And then the final level is capital. And most people think, hey, I'm going to buy something. I just need money. Well, not if you're getting a loan. And so we encourage people to go and solve these challenges in that sequence. Because even if you spend some time cultivating a banking relationship, even if you spend some time cultivating in a partnership with the experienced person, those things don't matter until you actually have a deal. Yeah. And you don't know if you have a deal or not until you have knowledge. So mm -hmm. we encourage people to go knowledge, deal flow, experience, and capital. And if they do that successfully, then it puts them in a really great place to get to the closing table and then go on the journey of creating the value in the asset by increasing the net operating income. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's, and I agree as well, too, also about the time and money. So yeah, you can, you can put all the time that you want. Uh, if you're free, but if you're working full time, your time is very constrained. So that means you're probably going to want to hire someone to do some of these things uh, about finding the deal. For example, you know, you can potentially get a wholesaler or somebody that would actually send you the deal uh, or a lead at least. And then you, you would need to run the numbers and figure out what needs to happen. But uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's, that's very good. And then after that is the money, as you mentioned. Uh, if you have a ton of money, then it simplifies a lot of things, but it doesn't always uh, solve all the problems either. Um, so, yeah, if you have to get a lender, if you have to get with other partners to buy an apartment building, you need to have the track record. And you can build that track record even with single family rentals. I mean, that's that's how I got started. We did a lot of single family rentals and then we bought an apartment building. And then that that's kind of how we got we got the ball going. Uh, they saw that we were already managing a portfolio of single family rentals. And then they said, okay, well, you know how that works. It's just like a bunch of rentals, but now it's in one building. So, so that, that helped us as well for that. Beautiful. So that's, that's uh, very good. So what, uh, what are, where are some of these, the challenges that you see uh, the people that you're helping? What, what is the biggest challenge that, that, uh, that you see them face? I think most people are just waiting for a broker to bring them a deal that works and yeah. it just doesn't happen and or it doesn't happen in my experience. I think most people who are buying through a broker are paying a number that is going to be really difficult for them to make it work. Mm -hmm. So Eric, I'm an engineer and I use uh, very technical terms. And so when you buy a deal from a broker, all the squishy is taken out of your deal. You don't have mm -hmm. any squishy. And so if something goes wrong, then you. Must be, that must be a technical term, squishy. Yeah. Squishy. <laughs> if something goes wrong, you don't have any fluff. And mm -hmm. 
unfortunately in real estate you write the check or somebody else writes the check there the money must come from somewhere yeah and i think many people think oh well we'll just be okay well mm. just know that if any one of your assumptions is wrong you're writing a check yeah. you have to be okay with that yeah exactly yeah i mean you just and you don't know sometimes where where that money is so you you want to make sure you have a healthy budget for your renovations you have to uh some of the things that we did uh, wrong on some of the apartment buildings is, um, you know, we thought we would be able to spend X dollars per unit, let's say $15,000 per unit on some project and reconfiguring uh, uh, the kitchen, for example, to put like a washer and dryer. And then you end up that, oh, no, there's some problems, the pipes are in the wrong place and blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, it's $20,000. To do that well twenty thousand dollars you have 30 units that's makes a big difference like the, that extra five thousand dollars makes a big difference on your budget and can make or break the thing or sometimes renovating and not being able to rent so you rent it you put the fifteen thousand dollars thinking that this would be the perfect unit and you'd be able to get like eight a thousand dollars let's say and then you put it on the market and you test the market before we do all the renovations on all the units we normally start with one and see if we can actually rent it for that price. And um, and in one apartment building that we did, like we we couldn't, like we thought we looked at the comps for rents in the area, and even we put uh, we put fifteen thousand dollars. We did a great job in the unit; it was fantastic. We still could not get the rent that we thought we would get. So we had to say, okay, well, what are the options here? And uh, the option was just like basic basic cleanup and paint and all of that and then increase the rent i think we just increased the rent like 20 or 40 percent or something like that it was you know it still made sense it still did uh, did some money we made some money on that uh, on that deal but not as much and uh so that's why it's important to always test that you mentioned that proof of concept it's the same we basically used one of the units in the apartment as a proof of concept to say Okay, if we do this, if we do it, what we think we would work, can we get the rent? Yes or no? And if it's no, then you have to go back to the drawing board and okay, what do we do here? Yeah, yeah. What did we do here? <laughs> I asked myself that question a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So that's that's kind of interesting. So you have to you have to be flexible as well and. You know, once you get into the project, you want to say, okay, well, this is this is the plan. And then, you know, okay, what happens? And then you want to adjust, tweak along the way, but to make sure that you keep your goal, your goal in mind. So it's pretty important. Pretty important to keep the goal in mind or be willing to say, hey, this isn't my goal anymore. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's very good. Um, yeah, I mean, and also the deal. Uh, how easy do you think? Uh, how do you have any difficulty right now finding multifamily deals? Uh, I think it's pretty hard for us to find deals. So I'm just wondering about on your side. Yeah, I think deals are really challenging. Um, and I've always felt like deals were challenging. It just is. I think there's a lot of people interested in it and their interest in it is driving prices up. Mm -hmm. And I, I right or wrong, feel very strongly that people are 
putting themselves in situations where they're not going to realize for three or five years that they put capital in a place where they're not going to get their money back out. Yeah. Yeah. Running the numbers is extremely important. Um, so can't emphasize it enough to run the numbers up front, make sure that you know, you have the knowledge and the experience to figure out what the, what the numbers look like. Do you have it? Like you mentioned earlier, is this a deal or is it some, just some kind of property where you're going to just lose money on it? Is it something that you can make money and how and be able to measure how much money you can make? I think it's very important right up front. If you don't do that, you're likely to lose money. Yeah, <laughs> more yeah, more likely to lose money than uh, than uh, make money. Some people are lucky, but you know, I don't I don't uh, I don't count on luck. Luck, I count on that, my numbers and my my spreadsheet and and just stick to it. Well, the math's the math, right, Eric? Yeah. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about the real estate. The math is the math. Yeah. So if we can get a really clear understanding of what our parameters are and then work against our parameters, we can take a lot of the emotion out of the decision. So Jerome, it was uh, kind of uh, time to wrap up uh, our conversation here. So it was a pleasure talking to you. If people want to reach out to, to you and maybe learn more about your Myers Development Group, and you also have, we haven't had a chance to talk about Dreamcatchers, uh, which is another one of your projects. Uh, where can people reach you? Yeah, the best place to go is JeromeMyers.co. Okay. Got all types of free resources there, all kinds of uh, educational material that they can download for free, free or low cost. Okay, excellent. So, Jerome, it was a pleasure speaking with you. I hope I uh, wish you lots of luck and, uh, and lots of, uh, even though you don't count on luck, I think it's, uh, it's still a, a nice component to have. Uh, yeah, so, and um, yeah, good luck on your new ventures and, uh, and all that. Talk to you later. Thanks, Eric. Thank you for listening to Break Away from the Rat Race with your host, Eric Martell. If you want to share your story and experience with our listeners, please message us on Facebook at Break Away from the Rat Race. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast on iTunes.